What a blessing it is, isn't it, to be able to be together today, to appreciate the honor that's ours, to assemble in the name of the God of heaven, to offer our heartfelt praise and adoration to Him. It's so good that we as the Pippin Church have been able to gather as a Christian family today. We've sang these songs and we've, in fact, ordered a prayer unto God. All the while, we've directed our thoughts and for the next few moments... May I invite you to think about a lesson you'll notice entitled Practical Sanctification. I know that's a long word, and in fact it occurs in the Bible, that latter word at least. But it may be a word that's a bit confusing to us. It in fact may be a word that is rather unfamiliar to us. I hope today to remove that unfamiliarity as we allow God to speak to us through His Word and to challenge us in ways to be a sanctified people. We'll do that first with these introductory thoughts and comments. On that slide, I've asked you to consider the frequency, first of all, with which this particular word appears. In some form or another, that word sanctify occurs over 140 times in the Bible. That means by its very nature that it's significant, it has some importance attached to it, and not only that... In the New Testament, 28 times in some of the sweetest and yet most challenging passages are those that contain that word. As we proceed through the lesson this morning, we will in fact revisit some of those I've listed there for your consideration. But may I ask that at least you note this. There has been much written throughout the last 2,000 years about sanctification. If you do much reading about it, my suspicion is you're probably confused. Various denominational presentations, various religious discussions of it are very lofty and very high. And quite frankly, they seem so abstract. I want to know, what does it mean to be sanctified? To you and I, on a, in a daily walk of life, what does it mean? Thankfully, God says enough to answer those questions. And so why don't we devote the time to thinking about practical sanctification. It likely isn't too shocking we need to begin with a definition. At the very minimum, what does the word as it appears in the original languages suggest or mean? You'll notice if we can simply embed in our thinking to be set apart, to be consecrated, to be made holy. At the most basic level, that's what this word means. Think about some of the ways in which that word appears. When Jesus taught His disciples to pray, He said, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. That word hallowed in the original language means sanctified. In other words, Jesus said it would be entirely appropriate to pray, God, may Your name be holy. God, may Your name be consecrated and set apart. Hallowed be Thy name. So you'll notice there's one place then where the original word is translated in this other word, hallowed. What about another example? As you and I come to that lesson text that Brother Joe read earlier, in 1 Peter 3 verse 15, there's a commandment given to each and every one of us. A commandment that reads like this, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is within you with meekness and with fear. I believe we'd each be impressed that as Peter wrote that particular statement by inspiration to those who were suffering beneath the difficulties and challenges of persecution, 
He said, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Those Christians of the first century were told, here is a practical thing and you've got to do it. Let's develop that in the following way. Where did this sanctification occur? Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Being a Christian first and foremost starts with a dedication, a devotion, a heartfelt commitment unto the God of heaven. And that sanctification will then emanate and present itself in the way in which you and I choose to live. But it starts in the heart. Not only that, would you note this? The one who makes that sanctification possible is none other than Jesus. And so we might interject this thought at this point. When I start asking about my sanctification, and when you pondered the, the same for yourself, it all begins, how did Jesus sanctify Himself? What is it that He did, and how did He choose to live? Again, notice some of these verses. In Hebrews 2 verse 11, the inspired writer said, "...not only the one that sanctifieth, but those who are sanctified." The context identifying that the one who sanctified was Jesus. And how did He do this? Through His blood. You and I, by the blood of Christ, have been called into a sacred relationship with God. We have done that, of course, as we obey the gospel. And in the same way that Jesus made holy through His life and the nature of His blood, you and I choose to live in that same way, dedicated loyal and focused unto God. Not only that, would you note this? What an honor it is to be listed among those who are sanctified. Have you ever thought about how much honor the Bible directs to you and me as Christians? When you and I wear the name Christian, God looks upon us very honorably. Because that decision that we've made and the one whose blood now covers us puts us in a position to where we are wholly peculiar in the sense that we're not like those around us. That honor perhaps is highlighted no better than in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2. As Paul addressed that congregation in Corinth, he called them saints indeed, but he went on to say, you're sanctified. Notice again, they had been set apart. The ungodliness that was characteristic in general of Corinth, that was not to be the case concerning them. That church in that little place was to understand how special they were, how sanctified they were to be. Maybe all of this has whetted their appetite even further. And so as you come to the close of that slide, these practical questions. We've highlighted by definition the thrust of sanctification to be made holy, to be set apart, to be consecrated. What does it now mean? What about the decisions that you and I make? How will I convey that sanctified character? Let's devote the next few moments of the lesson to attempting to give thought to that, and let's do it by building three points. Three considerations. The first is, remember, that verb meant to set apart. May I ask... Are you and I set apart by the choices, by the decisions, by the lives that we live? Is it evident to those who are about us? Is it manifestly clear to those who are our acquaintances that in fact we are sanctified, that we're set apart? 
let's develop it like this. It's so very clear, isn't it, in the New Testament that Christians are not to be of the world. Perhaps you and I have so often thought about and given consideration to that, but in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 17, it says, Come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And I will be your father, and ye shall be my sons and daughters. Isn't it still true? There again was a direct statement, a commandment, if you please. You come out from among them. We cannot claim to be Christians, faithful unto God, and yet be of the world. The two are not in harmony, and they will never mesh, and they will never join. To that passage, could I invite you to remember in Ephesians 5.11, to one and all, Paul in writing to the church in Ephesus said, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Quite often the world showers with darkness, doesn't it? We see it all about us. The choices, the decisions that are made, and quite often the thrust and motivation that's behind it. As Christians, we must be distinct in that regard. What about the Lord's disciples, and yea, in particular, those apostles? In John chapter 17, wasn't it true that Jesus, in fact, on that night, really in prayer to the God, in that passage, really, that's the Lord's prayer. Jesus said, I pray for these, these apostles, that they be not of the world. Now, He said, Father, I don't pray that You'll take them out of the world, but I pray that they'll be not of the world. What a passage. Jesus knew He was soon to ascend back to the Heavenly Father. They were going to be left behind. And He knew that by virtue of thrust and motivation and character and nature in life, those men needed not to be of this world. May I ask, as you look at that next passage, is anything different concerning you and me today? It's certainly true we live roughly 20 centuries this side of that passage. And yet other places in the New Testament, those same sentiments are expressed so strongly. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. 1 John 2, verses 15 to 17. One more time, this commandment, don't love the world. Have you ever pondered the fact that you and I today, of course, are surrounded in materialistic ways by more opportunities than any of past generations have ever had? We have things at our fingertips they never had. And yet we still are taught and told, you mustn't love the world. After all, you and I are wanting to be in heaven. And heaven's a lot better than anything this world has to offer. We cannot then be saturated with the love for this place. With that, note this next passage. In John 15 verse 19, Jesus Himself again speaking on the night prior to His crucifixion, He said, The world has hated me and I'm telling you it's going to hate you too. Because I am not of the world and neither will you be. Now, friends, that hasn't changed. That message delivered to those apostles that night, the world is not going to clap us and not going to pat us on the back as Christians. It never will. Our mindset's different. 
our focus and our destination is different. And so to be sanctified, first and foremost, highlights being set apart. Let's develop it even further like this. The rage of materialism that was a plague to the first century church, we understand can still be so. As often as Paul and Peter and the other New Testament writers pointed out that they weren't to love the world and they were to understand that whatever befell them here, they were to appreciate that heaven was their eternal home. Look at this verse then. I've called your attention, Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 41, and Ezekiel 28, verse 25, taken from the Old Testament, setting before us a principle. One of the plagues or one of the challenges that so affected God's people of Israel, they became materialistic. And so they were taken off into Babylonian captivity, and God said, partly the reason is your heart is in this place. You love this place too much. You've got to love me more than you do the world. Now that premise is no different than today, is it? Partly the difficulty that Israel faced, they love the finery and they love the materialistic matters of, the, of that present age. And so they paid for that with 70 years in Babylonian captivity. Perhaps it's not a shocking thing when you come to think then about these practical considerations so how are you and I to be set apart, may I ask? What about the way you and I talk? Do we talk like the world? Do we dress like the world? Do we go to the same places the world goes? If we do, how are we ever expecting to convert anyone to what we claim is better? If we talk like they do, go where they go, dress like they dress, then we aren't set apart. Don't we understand that our heart and our appreciation must be to understand sanctification demands that we appreciate those distinctions. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, Colossians 4, 6. How often? He said always. Now you'll notice we understand we are not to use vulgarity and profanity and things like that. But what about the other attributes of language and speech you and I choose to use? Are we quick to gossip and cut down anybody that don't see things the way we do? Well, what about the other characteristics of the speech and language that we choose to use in a dress? What about the clothes we choose to wear? Are we distinct? Are we set apart? Are we consecrated and different? We understand both Old and New Testament how that God condemned the showing, the revealing, if you please, of those parts of the body that are to be private. And never, ever should clothing develop lustfulness in the heart and mind of another. As clearly as Jesus stated that in the Sermon on the Mount, we know later, of course, Paul had to remind those in 1 Timothy 2.9 about it. Again, the question, how am I dressing? What if we add this next question to that? What about the choices that I make? relative to entertainment, recreation, and otherwise. There are a lot of things in the world that, quite frankly, can be chosen and utilized in a way that has evil in it. Am I quick to choose that just as much as a wholesome activity and entertainment? If so, am I set apart? Causes one to think, doesn't it? 
In Colossians 3.17, Paul wrote, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks in the God and the Father by Him. On Saturdays, Thursdays, Tuesdays, in a placement of entertainment, if the Lord were sitting beside me, would He approve where I am and what I'm doing? Would He proclaim that indeed set apart you are? And what a fine example of that sanctification. It's something to consider, isn't it? Let's look one step further. It's entirely easy then, isn't it? And certainly the devil would be delighted for us to do this, to wear that name Christian, but really to never allow Jesus to impact the decisions that I make. Oh, I'll continue to wear what I want to wear, and I'll choose the friends I want to pick and choose, and I'll go where I want to go. But on Sunday, I'll sure claim to be a Christian. May we never think the Lord will be pleased with that. Because again, we must be sanctified. And it has ever been that demand, isn't it? And aren't you thankful for those teachings? We are to be a city set on a hill, Matthew 5, 13 to 16. We are to be that light that isn't to be covered, but that shows forth the sweetness and the glory. In Matthew 5, 16, aren't we told, but glorify the Lord and do so by virtue as you show forth those good works in your heart and life. Maybe as we contemplate being set apart, what else does personal sanctification demand? Another attribute of that definition we noted earlier was this, dedication. So in addition to being set apart, to be peculiar if you please, let's reflect a moment on dedication. What about that attribute of sanctification? I would again pause to at least insert the following. As I read some of the articles and some of the presentations on the subject of sanctification, it is amazing to me how theological, how abstract, how unpractical sometimes those discussions are. And quite frankly, sometimes they're just completely wrong because sanctification, as it's highlighted in the Bible, is very practical. It's something I can do every day and so too can you. Am I sanctified to Christ or not? And we highlighted set apart. Now let's discuss dedication. The idea of sanctification had within it the concept of commitment, of loyalty, of devotion. As you and I consider it, look at some of the examples of those in the Bible who are so wonderfully and complimentary described. In 2 Corinthians 8 verse 4, mention is made of the Macedonians. Oh, how sweet is the description of these people. Notice it says, they in fact were such marvelous examples. But why? It says, they first gave themselves to the Lord. You see, they'd started in the heart. And that sanctification to God then manifested itself by not only their contribution. They gave liberally and they gave financially a great deal. But it all started because they first gave themselves to the Lord. Or look at yet another example. This one's on the opposite side. It's a negative one. What about the Laodiceans in Revelation 3, verses 14 to 20? The scene pres presented before us there is this one. Paul, or rather the writer John, addressed the church at Laodicea. And remember, Jesus was really the one who was giving them these instructions and giving them the message. 
And it was to this fact, you make me sick. You're not hot, you're not cold, you're indifferent, you're apathetic. Notice they weren't committed. They weren't sanctified. You consider yourself to be rich, you consider yourself to be in need of nothing, and yet you're miserable, you're poor, you're wretched, you're naked and you're blind. I would spit you out of my mouth. I wish you were either cold or hot, but you're neither one. The Christian life, and certainly the Laodiceans are certainly an, ex an exhibit A of the wrong choice, but a life of dedication. And so we might immediately ask of ourselves this, what are your plans for 5.30 tonight? What are your plans for 7 o'clock Wednesday night? Have you already made plans to be here? This is where the Lord's worship is going to take place. You see, a matter of dedication brings me to appreciate that I've made a commitment. Do you remember the day that you were baptized? There was a minister, an officiant, who likely said something along this line, Do you believe with all of your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? And you likely, with a smile on your face, said, Yes, I do. You made a professed verbal commitment then that you were not going to let sin reign in your mortal body. You made a professed commitment that I'm going to stand with the Lord through thick and thin no matter what all the days of my life. He is my Lord. He died for me and I'm going to live for Him. Paul said it like this in Galatians 2, I am crucified with Christ. The man Paul was put to death. It didn't... Paul that's living, it's Jesus that now lives in me. What about you and me? Have you already made the dedicated commitment? Every time the doors of the church building are open and I can possibly be there, I'm going to be there. It doesn't speak much about commitment if we choose to be absent. And you'll notice I said choose. There are times, perhaps health reasons or otherwise, may preclude us coming. But we sin if we choose not to be here. That's highlighted in Hebrews 10 verse 26. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received a knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. That's in the very context of being absent from the services. Again, dedication. What about this question? Isn't it amazing how that in life we can be absolutely thrilled to sit through a two-and-a-half-hour movie, a three-hour ball game. If the church services run two minutes over, we can't stand it. What does that say about our dedication? In fact, if a ball game goes to overtime, we may even be more excited. But if the church service ever runs slightly over, we're just about ready to have a heart attack in disbelief and frustration. What does that say about where our heart is? Something to think about, isn't it? Am I dedicated? Those first century saints, under the threat of persecution, met wherever they could. Halls, rivers, rented places and otherwise. And often, as we read in Revelation, Satan's seat was there and Antipas was, was put to death. Would you and I be dedicated under that kind of threat? When things are so easy as they are for us now, can we not at least be faithful now? No wonder Jeremiah told the folks of his day, when times get especially difficult, if you can't be faithful when it's easy, 
what are you going to do if it gets challenging and threatening? You and I don't know what the scenes of our culture may be, but may we always be sanctified people. Let's close that slide like this. What about the personal plan sometimes that we make? Isn't it amazing? We can construct a calendar and perhaps six weeks from now we've got plans for something. And we can't make plans to be at Bible study, can't make plans to attend at the various times that our elders have seen fit, times that encourage us and help us learn the Bible. And isn't it true that this book's going to be opened one day and there won't be a chance to obey it then? I'm going to be judged by what's in it. Jesus forever said in John 12 verse 48, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him the word that I've spoken. The same will judge him in the last day. We need to know as much of this word as we can know. And of course bring our life into harmony with it. Are we availing ourselves in, in, in desire about those events? That's what sanctification is all about. So far as we've discussed being set apart, and we've discussed the characteristics that relate to dedication. Let's close that slide and highlight this. The word sanctified occurs, as I studied on this many times in the Old Testament, in connection with the tabernacle. That is to say, the books of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. And as you give thought to that, notice what that sanctification meant then. Here were God's people and He expected them to be dedicated, to be sure, but to be set apart for His service. And quite frankly, those priests, they had to especially be sanctified to ever be allowed entrance into that tabernacle. You and I are priests today. 1 Peter 2, verses 5-9. through 9. And so isn't it expected that we too will be dedicated people? What about a third point? We noted at the outset that that idea of sanctification included dedication, it included being set apart, but it also included holiness. That was the third and final part to that discussion, and this will be the last part of our lesson this morning as well. Aren't you thrilled as you give thought to the concept of holiness? Our God is holy, and so if we are not, we have no reason to think we can ever be where He is. He is of pure eyes that to behold iniquity, Habakkuk 1.13. I began that particular slide with this demand. God gives us this commandment, You be holy as I am holy. We are not left then to wonder about whether that's critical. It's a demand. In fact, as Peter makes that statement in 1 Peter 1.16, he quotes from the Old Testament, so that was true even in the Old Testament. Read Leviticus chapter 19. And yet, as you and I appreciate holiness, may we perhaps put the icing on that cake like this. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Question, am I holy? Are you holy? If we are, we have no right to think that we're ever going to go to heaven. And so this concept of sanctification directly has to do with the nature of who our God is. And He wants us then to be holy people. Let's develop that like this. The book of 1 John, I suppose, describes this in a way that is so terribly interesting. 
If you'd like to turn to 1 John, we're going to note two verses in particular. First of all, 1 John chapter 2, verse number 1. John, by inspiration, writes and says, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. Now let's pause there. John says the reason, one of the blessings, according to this text I've written, is that you won't sin. I suppose throughout the centuries, many have then been in a bit of confusion. So they stumble, they fall, they lapse into some momentary sin. But yet in reading this verse, didn't God promise, if I apply the things of the Bible, and if I am who I'm supposed to be, I won't sin. Seems to me the, the Greek word is a very helpful thing to us here. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. The verb that appears there describes an ongoing, continuous, habitual life of sin. You and I cannot live an ongoing, habitual life of sin and suppose and think then that we are those who please God. In fact, in you may notice that's not describing a scene where a person slips, says something inappropriate, but again, it's just a, a one-time matter. That's not what's being described. In fact, the previous chapter helps us with that. Note verse 8 of chapter 1. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Yes, you and I, even as Christians, we will stumble. We will fall, but it must never be our desire to continue to live in a habitual, ongoing life of sin. For if we do that, we have forfeited the wonderful advocate we have with God. Note chapter 3, verse 8. The latter part of the verse, I'll begin with the opening part. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. You and I, as sanctified people, certainly have this desire, this ongoing wish to be holy. And that doesn't mean that we're never, ever going to sin. We're going to stumble and say something we shouldn't. We may do something that we wish we hadn't. But that's not what this verse is describing. What it does describe is we cannot live a habitual, ongoing, continuous life of sin. For if we do, we can't claim to be sanctified. Let's add to that the following. Romans 6 verse 11, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. When you and I find the Word of God telling us and that something is inappropriate and wrong, we should have a heartfelt wish then to repent of ourselves and in ourselves to where that activity that we once had done is no longer a part of what we are. We don't do that anymore. Not in a habitual, ongoing way. Let's add to that the following. The text you'll notice about the middle of the slide in 2 Timothy 2.21. The challenge given to those of that day. The appreciation stated in words like this. Paul in addressing Timothy put it like this. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor sanctified and meet for the Master's use, and prepared unto every good work. You notice the word sanctified, and yet it was described as the one who purges himself from these. In the previous verses, there were several things. 
Paul told Timothy, you mustn't do this. Aren't you and I thankful that God has told us things that we're not to do so that we know those are bad for us? They'll harm us here and they'll harm us in, in eternity. I'm thankful for those things, aren't you? One final thought on that slide. Hebrews 10 and verse 29 uses the word sanctified in a very telling way. I'd like to read that and ask you to note it with me as well. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 29. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the grace of God. So this Christian, this individual who had taken on the name of Christ but then had chosen to forfeit his privileges, had chosen to live in a life of sinfulness, he said, he was sanctified by the blood of the covenant, but now he's refused it. Now he's rejected it. He's trodden underfoot the Son of God. You'll notice it says, how much more sore punishment do you think that man will be worthy? Isn't that a sobering thought? May you and I every day then strive to live up to the wonderful description of that name that we wear. Christian, we're sanctified. In conclusion of this lesson, let's summarize it like this. To be sanctified has meant, first, it is such that we are set apart. Secondly, we are dedicated. Thirdly, and you and I noted it, that word sanctified carried with it the appreciation of what's involved in this ongoing commitment, this matter of holiness. Today, you can see how practical with me that being sanctified really is. It affects the way we talk, how we live, the clothes we wear. It affects every aspect of our life. Jesus wants to control all of it, and He always will do it well. Mark 7, verse 37. This very day, as you then contemplate sanctification, are you and I living as we should? Are we sanctified people? Are we manifesting the glorious goodness and the message of the gospel in the lives that we choose to live? If we are, then that sanctification is a blessed thing and God is pleased. But if our life doesn't reflect those things, maybe we're lacking in the dedication, maybe we're lacking in the holiness or in the being set apart, would you examine yourself as well as, my, as me, as we all examine ourselves? And if we need to bring this point of sanctification to a moment of application, even greater application in life, may we with hearty character do it. We do offer the invitation, of course, at this moment. It could be that someone is even here and maybe the songs or the Word of God that we've studied. Maybe it's challenged us in some way that we would like before this audience today to make a statement that we wish to present a sanctified life. Maybe as a Christian, you have not exhibited that the way you know you should. Why not come back and ask for prayers? It's not an insult. It's only an insult if you don't come because you're showing despite to Jesus. If we could pray to God on your behalf, of course, followed, following your repentance and your confession, we'd be happy to do that. If you, though, have never become a Christian... Don't you want to serve the King who is always going to be King of kings and Lord of lords? 
If we could assist in that way today as you obey the gospel in belief, repentance, confession, and baptism, what a great time it would be for us to assist you in that. We'd like to invite one and all to come, even as the Lord does, and do it at once. All together we stand and while we sing.